Welcome to the Lojo Show. I am your host, Loverture Jones. I am the founder and managing partner at BlackRock Engineering and Technology. I have over 21 years of cybersecurity experience, and I am honored to be able to bring some of that experience to you. If you have been following us on social media, you have seen the announcements for this exclusive series with Katie Arrington. We have given Katie a platform to let loose and let us know what the real deal is. A little about Katie. Katie Arrington is the former Chief Information Security Officer for the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense Acquisitions and Sustainment, in which her office worked to integrate security into future defense acquisitions, providing industry with a framework for which to protect defense information as it is used to create our nation's most important defense products, technologies, and capabilities throughout their life cycles. In addition, Katie was also the Department of Defense's lead for supply chain risk management for the FEMA and HHS PPE COVID efforts, as well as Operation Warp Speed. We are very excited for this series, exposing the truth about DOD security. Katie provides an inside, on-the-ground point of view, and we are eager for you to hear her perspective. Please join us for this great series, and we hope you enjoy. So you asked me some very, very good questions, and you deserve an answer. And the questions that he asked, ladies and gentlemen, um, were very provoking, right? But one of them is, you know, do we have a, a running daily score of DOD contractors reporting breach, breaches? Well, yeah, we do. If they report them, if they're, you know, they volunteer to go on to DidNet, um, actually part of the CMMC was making you aware of who you're supposed to call. Do how many people know that if you have controlled unclassified information that you're supposed to call um, DC3? Most people don't know that. That was part of the CMMC. Like, who do you call in case of an emergency, right? Ghostbusters? No, no. Um, but the reality is by the time that breach gets Oh, made aware to the supply chain or to the weapon system or to the product, et cetera, it's old news, right? Intel reports, I used to get briefed every single morning. And that's actually how they, the, this current administration or particular members of this administration put me on administrative leave was over my daily brief, which I'll get to in another podcast. Um, the, the witch hunt that that it, it's not every administration does it it's just this administration tends to be a little bit more egregious um but we get intel briefs every morning you know i had a, i had my own nsa briefer i had my own um, briefer for the other intelligence agencies coming into me every single morning telling me what the bad actors were doing the companies, generally it was masked, right? So I can see a report every morning that say CDC, clear defense contractor, um, had this exfil done and you know, generally it was two years old. Like, what the hell are you telling me now for? This is old news. We need to look and understand, and, and I'm gonna use the, the FireEye um, uh, software penetration uh, hack of, what was that, 20? One, 20, we hear that happen. Yeah, it was 20, 21, 21. 20, all right. So do you really think that our adversary that starts with an N, starts with an R and ends with an A, um, spent millions of dollars and years to try and figure out how to insert malware into software 
penetration software. Do you think they did it just to one? Or do you think they did it to many? Think about that. If you're, if you're creating it, are you creating it for one specific software capability, product line, or many? And we have to look at, because we are all interlocked in this industrial base, we have to look at risk not as a four-letter word. It should be applauded when people say, oh, sh Nikes, something bad has happened. I have been breached. And it shouldn't be this like, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so. If I'm a company, so let me put it to you this way. Honesty is always the best policy in business, right? If you tell me I had this happen, this is what I'm doing, and I'm making it better. I am going, like recalls. We get recalls on our cars all the time. Has a recall ever persuaded you not to buy a car brand? Or has it said, wow, I really appreciate these guys worrying about me that they recall this and they're, at their cost, they're going to replace it. They care about me as their customer. Why do we look at the fact that there's, a, there's been something wrong in a breach? Because remember, in podcast one, you know, they work as a whole of government. Your small business is not set up, nor will it more than likely ever be set up and protected to fight off the Chinese Republican Army. Just so you know. Their, their electronic warfare, they're, they're finding new and different ways to get to you every single day. We don't expect that of you. But why can't we look at it as a community when something bad happens? We put it out there and not through the, you know, you, you, you log on and you volunteer through DibNet and you, you populate it and it goes up to the CIO's office and they decide what to do with it. Or, you know, you go to the CISA website and you look at the most recent vulnerabilities and patches, right? The CMMC and why I really was so passionate about it was that small business would have a contract obligation with somebody that was certified to pick up the phone and say, I've had this problem. And that person can say and remain the anonymity of the company to the CMMC, all the AB assessors, there's been this vulnerability. Everybody, make it aware. Because you can't rely on the government. Why? Because funding is never a solid state. Military flags move through every two to three years. Politicians get elected every two um, and six years and four years, right? You can't depend on the government to do this. You have to take care of you and your company your supply chain, your brand. That's the only way we're going to get ahead of this curve. So yeah, you know, we, we, we would get the, the daily breaches, right? I, I, I could see who was reporting through DipNet. I could call down to DC3. Um, but, you know, there's another thing, right? Um, because we've banished people and made them so bad about, you know, oh, you, oh, so-and-so got hacked. Instead of saying, you know, change the narrative, right? So-and-so saved X, Y, and Z's companies by coming forth with this earlier and saying it. And we were able to thwart our adversaries by this, this, and this in this event. That's what we need. I mean, that's the only way we're going to get around this because people are so reluctant 
to to say anything obvious. It's like you know the 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 kids you know story. You know the emperor has no clothes, right? Everybody just let the emperor walk around with his buck ass naked. Why, right? Just say, hey, you forgot your clothes. Go put them on. And companies are reluctant to do it, a because you know number one, cyber has not been part of the C-suite. Biggest mistake companies have ever made. Cybersecurity has historically not been part of the C-suite's discussion. They, your brand, everything you do, you know, tell me something that doesn't have cyber in it. Not, and what cracks me up are the companies that believe IT is cyber. Couldn't be further from the truth. Information technology and networking, they are not security in in their their origination, right? You need people who understand security, cyber security. Somebody who understands how to make your computer and connect to the intranet in your company should not be responsible for having the, the, the responsibility to ensure all of the precautions are in place to protect you from the internet. There are two different areas of operation. That's why CISOs are so critically important and you need to be a part of C-suites of every company. A chief information security officer, my job at the DOD was to tell everybody, hey, listen, we all work as one team, right? This is what I need you all to do. Um, CISOs are about leadership. They're about you know looking at a goal and, and getting the teams aligned so that they can achieve that common goal. Um, common goal is security between IT, you know, network, and, and security are all very different. They're, they all have different roles, but their objective is to provide a capable product that is in a secure environment, right? That's, and we, we need to change the corporate look um, of how they do this. And people, um, you know, and, and for the DOD in the same vein, right? If we penalize a program, if they do something well, did you know that? If, if you have a program and you walk in and you figure out how to cut the cost of production, right? We do not give an incentive to the government employee to do that. We may give them, you know, uh, if they're an SES, um, you know, they, they may get a, a small part of a pay pool, you know, the, the pools, but they're not going to get a, you know, uh, hey, you you did this, you know, let's let's give you a, you know, you saved the, the country taxpayer $7 million here's a $70,000 award and, hey, let's put you on another program where we think there could be cost reduction and use your techniques and capabilities um, to help do that. We don't do that. And we sure as hell don't do it in the contracting world, right? So if you're on a firm fixed price contract, you ain't gonna find a new way to do it, right? It's, it's ridiculous. We have got to incentivize how to reduce risk and improve capability and quality without penalizing the people that are actually doing the right thing. And right now with the CMMC, we are penalizing the people who did the right thing versus the people who didn't. And here's what I'll say. And I, I talked about this when I went around the country and talked. Small business A checks the box in their self-assessment and they say that they're doing out of the, you know, the 171, the 110 uh, criteria, they're doing 90. They have an intent, a poem, they're going to do the rest within the next five years of this contract. Company B, now mind you, company A's price is $170 an hour, an example. 
Company B is doing everything they're supposed to be doing. They're following all the procedures and it costs a little bit more and they're bidding 197 an hour. Now they're both technically acceptable because they're both checking the box that they're doing the 171. And there's no, no cause, no, you know, th there's nothing to say company A or B, they're both technically acceptable because they're both, you know, the same tech requirements, they're doing the same thing and they're both checking the box, they're compliant. Who's going to get the work? Company A. And the adversary loves that. They love that. And we have to get around that. I mean, we have to understand that it's, and my, bless my, my grandmother, you know, buy quality, buy quality. It'll last you a lifetime. And, and she used to do that with our backpacks as kids. She'd really buy us these like god awful, ugly backpacks, but they were like triple sewn. And my backpack that I got as a freshman in high school was the same backpack I used when, it, I still have it today. Who am I kidding? I still have that Jansport backpack today. There's something to say for quality. And, and we need to understand that we need to pay for what we want, right? Um, and, but people are very adverse to that, right? They don't want to, you know, you don't want to be the cyber guy who's going to walk into your corporate C-suite and say, hey, guys, you're missing the boat and it's going to need, you need $5 million, you better find it, or... It isn't going to happen. Um, you know, the, the industry needs to understand whining about the problem isn't going to make it go away. Complaining to the Small Business Administration isn't going to save your business. Saying it's too hard isn't going to save your company. It's just going to show us more and more and more. You're not, you don't care, right? That's what it says to the contracting officer. It's, you know, oh, it's so difficult. Well, then why have you been lying to the government for the past, oh, I don't know, seven years saying you were compliant? Has anybody thought about that? Because you have been. You've been signing contracts. If you've had controlled unclassified information and you have signed onto that contract in that DFAR rule and say, I am doing it, you're a breach of contract. And then to come back to the government and say, I need more money to do what I'm already doing. It's, it, see, that's why industry missed their, their boat. And, and I will, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here, folks. NDIA, all the associations didn't do you any favors, right? Instead of going to Congress and saying, the rules got messed up when they put this into effect back in 2015. They didn't do a cost analysis and the budget needs to be increased. They wrote letters to the Department of Defense saying how it was too hard for industry to get to that goal. That to me just blew my mind. Like you're you're telling me it's it's pick a side, folks. And if everybody would have unified and said, "Hey, we need this money," because in the 20 NDAA, did you know that I wrote a got them to write a 25 million dollar grant for CMMC for small businesses in that NDAA, and that the appropriators never funded it. And the whole reason I asked for $25 million was because when I went through DICAP to RMF, you were allocated $25,000 of consulting services that the DOD would pay for to help you get your documents in the right format to go from DICAP to RMF. And I wanted that for small businesses, right? You don't have uh, the capability, you know, you could get a one-time grant from us to get good on the stuff that you say that you, you have been doing. And if you want to go you know, forward and you need assistance, 
here you go. But they never funded it. And that's a lot of what people don't understand when they write stuff in, you know, the the authorizers and the appropriators do not work in the same vein. So they may say, hey, this is great. Um, we love this idea. They did it with the CMMC. Do you know how much money they, they gave to the CMMC? $5 million. I had to go beg for the rest of the money from the services in an issue paper to get them to pay for it because the government, the although they had the, do you remember the, um, well, it's now on the, the way out, but um, one of the greatest losses we have to Congress right now is Jim Langevin out of Rhode Island, him leaving. He started the National Cyber Solarium. He and, um, gosh, I can't think, he's an independent. His name will come to me. Um, you know, Jim's a Democrat. Um, this other gentleman was an independent. And they wrote the National Cyber Solarium, which was spot on, right? Said that we needed to have a national cyber standard that everybody needed to adhere to it, including our universities, right? Where does most um, technology spurn from? The university sector, right? They don't have to have anything. Hell, they don't even, you as a federal contractor need to have a background check. You know, the, the, the student at the school that created it didn't. And do you know who, um, and I'm asking all these questions. In our country, number one, um, People from other countries that come to our, 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 from other countries to go to our schools and universities, China and Iran, and they don't stay. We teach them, they create the technology and they take it back with them. They have no background checks. There's no requirement on the environment they're creating the capability at the university because the university doesn't want to spend the money to secure the, the, the lab. It's, it's absolutely insane what we're doing. And we continue to do the same thing again and again and again. And our, you know, we, we have the delivered uncompromised report. The Navy did a cyber report. We have all of these things. We have all the evidence to show we're not getting any better. And we just keep whining about it. And, you know, I don't tolerate whiners well. My mother, you know, used to tell me, if you come to me with a problem without a solution, you're a whiner. And she didn't tolerate whiners. And we have a hell of a lot of whiners out there. And we need to get beyond the whining stage and say, for good, bad, or indifferent, the only way our country has a chance of, of you know, dominating the world. And here's a, and, and I, I'm trying to stay as apolitical as possible. But you want America to be the guiding light on the hill, right? We have our flaws, mind you, we have our flaws. What's going on in our environment today is flawed on both sides of the aisle. But I will tell you, there's no other country in the world where we want democracy to succeed. We want freedom and we want to be the guiding light. You want countries to want to be like us. So, you know, instead of you know complaining that there's a problem let's just solve it right and get to bigger ones because there's much bigger ones coming right we've got post quantum that we've already found you know four different sequences that 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 don't that already break quantum oh Nike now we're out right we have to get ahead of this game and we did it before we can do it again um World War II right Ford did not want to stop manufacturing cars to manufacture weapons. He had to, right? It wasn't a choice. The industrial base is so critical to everything that we do. Now, what we can do 
to help them, right? And what we should be doing is working on ways that if they create a capability or a product that is defense centric, we should invest in them to commercialize it, to figure a way to make it a commercial capability. That way it lessens the cost of the DOD to buy it in perpetuity and creates competition, reduces costs, gets more people working, keeps our economy going, but that's a whole nother conversation for a different day. But breaches are, are back to the original question, you know, do we get a daily report? Yeah, that's if they report. Now our intelligence agencies can see stuff, right? Um, they can see where our adversary are. I mean, we know who the cyber actors are around the world. Um, what I'll see, tell you right now, which I think is the biggest disappointment in the DOD decision to move the CMMC program to CIO. That's stupid. That's just stupid. And whoever made that decision should be challenged because they don't have the authority. That was always a big argument when I was there. You know, who has the authority over the DIB? Policy. Oh, my gosh. Policy used to say we have the authority over the DIB. How do you have authority over the DIB? The only people who can make the DIB do anything is what? Come on, Lojo, tell me. Money. <laughs> who? The only people that can make them do it is, is, is money in themselves. That's it. Acqu acquisitions. 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 Acquisitions, the only people that can make any of the DIB accountable is acquisitions. So what does the DOD do? Well, I'll tell you, since we're on a podcast and I can say, my, my, when I was in the Department of Defense, they put me into, on the waning days of the Trump administration, they moved my office into industrial policy. And the first political and industrial policy had nay a clue of what cybersecurity was, never worked in industry, never had any experience with supply chains, anything, and didn't want to be dealing with it. So he spent his whole time tenure there trying to get it out from him because he didn't want to have to go to Congress and explain it because, gosh forbid, you, you let me explain it to them because I was doing a pretty good job, but we'll leave that on another day. They moved it to CIO. John Sherman and Dave McEwen have no authority over the DIB. They do over the Jodin but they have no authority over the DIB. All they can do for the DIB is set the standard. They can say what standard is to be used. And we built the CMMC off of the standard they said we had to use, which was the NIST 800 Special Publication 171. And the DFAR rule, the, the CMMC was built upon that. Now we integrated things in it like ISO, and people have said to me, why didn't you just go change the ISO standard? Because that's ISO 27001. What's an international standard? Do you know how, charged, how hard it would be to change an international standard? I can't even get two federal agencies to agree, least alone, you know, 160 <laughs> countries around the world. Other nation states, other Please. nation states, all in it, yeah. Mm. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, that was, it, that's going to be the demise of the program in my eyes right? They can try and rebrand it, rename it, whatever. But unless you have acquisitions who can say, I'm not paying you, I'm not signing this contract, and, and we're not going to give it to you, unless we're there, we're at a loss. And until they move it back, and they put it back in A&F, I don't see it succeeding. Because there's nobody to have the oversight and authority to it. And it really is disturbing to me that this administration, um, the deputy, Dr. Hicks, who I had such 
great high hopes for coming into the Department of Defense. Oh my gosh. It was like a kid on, on Christmas morning when she got nominated. She authored the gray zone. I, this, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I had David Nordquist, who's a great partner, but Dr. Hicks understands the problem, right? A gray zone. It's a great, if you haven't read it, read it. Nay, 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 no, no, not the priority. And, and that's why it's got to get back to A&S. And I hope Bill LaPlante somehow fights to get it back. Secretary LaPlante gets it back because it needs to be there. Um, otherwise, it's doomed to fail. You can't change the name. You can't change the levels. You can't change any of it. The bottom line is, is it, it, you can, but it's still the same, right? It, it's a, it's a, you're just putting lipstick on a different pig. It's got to get done, folks. Stop whining. And the more whining that we do, the more the adversaries gain. The longer we drag our feet on this, and they love it, by the way, they love it. I got to tell you, I used to read Intel reports, and I would see myself mentioned in them. I, they didn't say my name, but it would say, you know, I was irritating the Chinese uh, unilaterally. Remember when NDAA 889 came out, taking Huawei out of our networks? Yep. Yep. Relate now. And I went on. Yeah, and and, uh, and I went head-to-head uh, -head with the CTO of Huawei at RSA in uh, California right before the pandemic. And, you know, he was fighting, you know, why won't you even look at our capability? I'm like, because we know it's bad. Because I have information to say why we're ripping it out of everything, right? Um, it, it's it's bad. It's, it, China is not our friend, and we have to rip it out. And when it came to the government solving that problem, now, I, mind you, I was on the Federal Acquisition Security Council. That was stood up in like 2020, and I was the DOD uh, on, on that uh, FASC. Our job was to determine what a baseline of risk looked like. I'm like, well, we've got Huawei here. We can pretty much take that. We know what Kapersky is, right? We've got two things we know are bad. These define risk. Um, and instead of doing what I wanted us to do, right, which would have been better, because this, I think if we had put, let CMMC stay in acquisition and sustainment, put it into contracts, and that way, if a contractor didn't get compliant, we could withhold money. But it was also going to change the cost and accounting systems because companies would realize that they needed to raise their rates. And I had done all of the work with OIRA to get that cost um, the, the incremental cost increase of the CMMC and the additional controls. I had done all my, my team. I, we had done all that work. They're now rolling all that back, changing it from level five to now three levels and doing all this other stuff. It's, it's put it more at risk and there's nobody to enforce it. CIO declares it. And so they're not over the dib. And that hey. was all a power grab. And Katie, I think one of the things that, uh, that if you would elaborate on is that we were just talking about cost accounting and really huh? when we talk about cost accounting, as far as looking at how contractors uh, actually price their services and products and stuff there, why is that such a hard ship to move into the div, especially in these kind of LPTA environments and stuff at this point? How is that such a hard ship to move as far as for the DO, or for the, for the div? And then also for the DOD yeah, in that. Well, first and foremost, you have contracting officers who have no technical experience determining who is or isn't, right? So you could write a really great RFP response and talk about your, your security, right? Do you think they have a flipping clue? The core? No. 
No. Okay, no. problem no. one. <laughs> problem that's, that's, one. That's a no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so why the CMMC was so critical is it was alleviate that off of the core. And they would say, oh, okay, now I know why this, this, because when you have two people checking the boxes, remember, let's go back to in, in the podcast, company A and company B, both are saying they're, tech, they're, they're qualified and they're doing the work, but one's not doing, you know, 30 controls, the other one is, they would actually see why the cost difference, right? And they would say, okay, award that. That unto itself, and the fact that we were in the process of educating the services on how much this all costs. You know, but it would be much easier to roll it up into a rate, right, and say that, okay, I need next year in appropriations, I'm going to need blank amount more money, and the justification is I need to get these contractors CMNC certified. That was all worked out within the DOD. We understood that. We understood that we were going to have to go in and ask for more money. And the way we were going to do it was prioritizing programs. The rollout was over a five-year period so that we could pick the programs that were the, the ones that we needed to protect the most, invest the most money on the upside, right? Because trickle-down economics does work, right? That this, and it would incentivize larges to help smalls get good because they could get it back in their cost. So it was, it was all right there. We were on the prefaces of there, right? And everybody in the DOD and the people that should be ashamed of themselves today, and I say this, ashamed of themselves, are the, the people that work as the, the, the legal aid to ANS because they said, yep, you're, in the con you're, you're legally good to go, you're good to go, you're legally. And they, once they had leadership that would stand by, back them up, they all, they all cowered and they're like, oh, they're too risk adverse. The Department of Defense, needs leaders who are going to stand up and say, this has to be done this way to be successful. Ellen Lord, Kevin Fahey, Kim Harrington, I could go down. There, there were people there that just said, you know, times have changed. We've got to make a difference. It's funny to me that I find it ironic, and this one will piss a lot of people off, do you know why AT&L broke up? Do you remember a, a, in the DOD it used to be called AT&L and now it's called A&S and R&E? Mm -hmm. Do you know why all that happened? Why's that? Frank Kendall and John McCain. John McCain and Frank Kendall couldn't stand the air each other breathed. John McCain thought AT&L was too powerful and Frank Kendall disagreed. And so John McCain got it written into the NDAA to break it up. It's, we have to understand that cost us billions of dollars. It cost an incredible amount of time where we had to break up AT&L into two different, we had to get two new secretaries, set up two new offices, write a whole new charter versus understanding that you do not work for anybody but the taxpayer. And if one senator has an opinion, now, a lot of what John McCain did in his lifetime, I agreed 100% wholeheartedly with. He made a few bad decisions, and I think breaking up AT&L was one of them, right? It caused a great deal and, and disruption. Because the more cooks that you put into the kitchen, the more complicated it becomes. 
as it is, the Department of Defense is arguing, right, that the Air Force, the Navy, the um, Space Force, Army, Marine Corps, they all argue. It's not like they work as a cohesive team. They don't. Why? I mean, look at look at how long um, uh, uh, JCAP and uh, JADC2 has taken. If we work together, this would have, we wouldn't be where we are, right? And in while we were in the Pentagon, you know, I love Nick Shalon. I will tell that uh, Nick Shalon created DevSecOps in the in the Pentagon. And why Nick Shalon is no longer at the Pentagon is because there were multiple issues. A, there was never a business plan to support DevSecOps, right? You can't have one service bearing the burden to create source code and then be responsible to protect it and update it in perpetuity. There had to be a fee associated. So if you created a container in you know, the Army that the Air Force was going to use, then the Air Force should have to pay the Army to uh, a fee, I guess, or a tax, right, to use that so that the cost would be offset, right? Programs that were using it should have to pay. There was never a business plan written up to support that. Secondarily is every service thinks they do it better than the other service, right? Why don't we break it out and say, right? The sec dev should get some cojones, right? It would be awesome if we had a sec dev that actually understood, listen, you alone are going to be in charge of this type of technology and capability because the industry doesn't know where to go, right? That's always been a problem. They never know where to go, right? I've created this and it has multiple applications. Well, you have to have, this is why most small businesses or, or, or startups fail working with the DOD or federal agencies is there's no clear, concise way to go. They're, they have no point of, of where to enter in with their capability, they got to go to all these trade shows. They have to hire all of these, you know, previous military people to help direct them. It's because no SECDEF in U.S. history has come and said, you know what, artificial intelligence is going to remain in this this service. We're going to put the funding there, and everybody else is going to feed off of it. Can you imagine how much easier and more less expensive it would be if we did that? We compete in the services with each other to create the same technology, same capability, the exact same stuff. But because we want to have, I invented it here first. We culturally have to change everything that we are doing. And I think it's going to be one of those, you know, unless you get a, a slew of people, you know, in the Pentagon and in Congress that understand that, because understand senators and congressmen, and by the way, I was trying to be one, so I say this, and I'm, I'm, I'm as guilty as others, right? If I were to say, okay, Senator Shelby in Alabama, you've gotten all this money out of appropriations to create all this cyber hub in Huntsville, Alabama, and good job on you. And you have created, and, and they have, right? The Army has an amazing supply chain um, control center there, right? But aside, why put all that money into something the only Army's going to use, right? Why not all services? Why not all federal agencies? Well, if you were to do that and say, well, it probably would be more logistically centralized in, in Kansas, do you think Senator Shelby's going to let the money go? Nope. nope. Because that means jobs, right? That means jobs. And ultimately, those people up in, in the Capitol building, right, 
because our system is so bonkered up, all they care about is raising money, jobs, and the next election. Sadly, because we yeah. put them in a place that's all they worry about. It's, right. We have such a, a system that we could fix it, especially in the DOD. I mean, a SECDEF has the authority to come in and say, these new emerging technologies in coordination with R&D are going to be allocated to these center of excellences. Blank. Army, you're going to be this center of excellence. Blank. Navy, you're going to be this center of excellence. Air Force, you're going to be this center of excellence. And then that way, industry would actually know where the hell to go. Think about that. And the other, the, the other part of what we wanted to do in the CMMC, which is really my long, which I wanted, desperately wanted, Katie wanted, was the accreditation body to be able to, at some point in the future, as a nonprofit entity that the industry had a vested stake in, create a lab, a sandbox that was mimicking of a, a DOD sandbox so that new emerging capability could test on that, that range and get a provisional ATO to speed the process up, to take all of that risk reduction that we have to do within the services to get VAA authorization. If we could get a government certified environment where companies could say, okay, test it for, you know, $50,000 and see if it meets all the, the criteria and provide that to the DOD. Can you imagine how many months would be cut off of that acquisition life cycle? That'd be significant. That would be significant for new emerging be, technology. And or actually have reciprocal ATOs, right? So that was another thing Nick started, right? Let's we need to do reciprocity on an ATO. Nick was brilliant, and, and, and it still is. I mean, I, 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 Nick and I disagreed on one fundamental factor. He wanted me to you, you base the CMMC on NIST 53, and I said, well, that's fine, but I've got the 171s for non-federal. This is for federal. I don't disagree, but the the law states I have to do it on 171. Um, but otherwise, Nick, Nick and I, we sat around, we're like, this is not hard, right? The, 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 the SECDEF just needs to write a memo stating that if, because we're all using the same standard. This is the part of redundancy that I can't understand in the Department of Defense or in the mm -hmm. federal agencies at, at norm. We're all using the same standards, ISO, NIST, you know, they go on. A DAA acknowledging that another DAA, so your peer, you are not willing to accept your peer's review of a capability and give it a provisional ATO to, to, to at least go through some testing. Really? That's U.S. Yeah. tax dollars. Yeah, I, I... That's the kind of... And to yeah. me, that, I, I, you know, there's... It, it was... And, and why were they so reluctant to do it? culture right mm -hmm. culture and risk aversion and did, did you ever hear my the analogy that i the spitball analogy no oh, let me hear that analogy okay you're gonna love it oh my gosh it explains our government 100 percent. so in a room you have the adversaries and the allies and we're just going to use their names adversaries and allies and on each team, they have the exact same technical requirements, educational requirements. They have the same amount of people, exact same, right? As far as experience, education, et cetera. 
the mediator walks into the room and says, this is a spitball war. You have one hour. He who has the most spitballs on the wall wins. No rules, go. The adversaries break out. They don't even talk to each other. They just start running. They, they look at the, the adversary team, you know, looks in their subcomponents and they say, you are in charge of liquid. You're in charge of um, paper products that can be made into spitballs and you're in charge of throwing. Go. And they, they're throwing everything in, right? They've got this bowl. There's a guy who's just doing nothing but the mixing and they're bringing in everything. Baby formula, old coffee, soda, water. They don't care. They are picking up napkins, toilet paper. They don't care. And they are just chucking it at the wall. Then you go to the Allied side. Now the Allies, the clock is ticking. They spend the first 10 minutes arguing about leadership because leadership is key to the success of any effort and that the right leader needs to be chosen. And then after the 10 minute mark, then they, they figure out who's gonna be the leader. Then they figure out, okay, what, are we, what is the objective? And they spend 10 minutes talking about the objective. And 20 minutes have gone by for leadership and objective. They, and they spend five minutes on budgeting. Then they all need to take a five minute recess and go back to their countries and ask them for the money and that that's okay. At the 30 minute mark, they've decided, okay, we've got the money and we've got the leadership. So now we need to start sourcing the raw materials for this. Well, you know, 10 minutes go by and a country has a problem with the water source that we're getting because it hasn't been tested through their standards and they don't wanna have the implications of using water that they don't think is appropriate. And then once that happens, right, then all the other countries need to go back and talk. Now, this is going on continually. Meanwhile, the adversaries are just chucking it, chucking it, chucking it, chucking it. It looks like a murder scene on this wall, okay? It is sliding down. It's disgusting. It smells putrid. Then go back to the allied team, who's very nice, and they're sitting around a table, and now they're discussing. They've got the leadership. They've got the, the, the game plan. They've got the acquisition. They've got all the resourcing, they're moving into production, and there was an election. And everything needs to stay on pause for two years while the country that was, you know, the primary source of the pulp, the wood, um, had an election and they just want to make sure the new elected president, whatever, is approval of it. Okay. Then they need the scientists to come in at the 50 minutes. Now, it's 50 minutes in. And the scientists said, we've never checked the viscosity levels or the, the wall, the density of the wall or trajectory, right? How high are we going to aim it? How, how heavy is the spitball going to be? And where do we need it to land? And, and where we're looking at it to land, is it the right environment, right? Is it, is it the right density? So at the 57-minute mark, we're ready to go. We launch at the 59th minute. 59th minute, we throw the most beautiful, perfect spitball the world has ever known. It goes at the right trajectory. It's the right density, viscosity. It lands exactly where we wanted it to land. And that spitball is going to be on that wall for all of time because of how much care and risk avoidance we put into creating it. And the buzzer goes off and the mediator says, adversaries win. And the allies stand there and they're like, what happened? That's, that's the most perfect spitball. No war will ever be won without that type of spitball. He's like, yeah, but this war was just fought and they won it. That's us. 100%. And you can break that down into your corporation. You could break that down into any federal agency. You can break that down into any service within in, in the military. 
That's how we, we work. And we will never win the war fighting that way. And I'm not saying break all the rules, but I'm saying we have to have risk. We have to assume risk. What we should be doing, right, as companies, as corporations, the DIB leaders should be saying, these are risk reduction strategies that are acceptable to us, that if you have this A product or B, this investor in your supply chain, this is an, an acceptable tolerant risk for us. And the FAST, the Federal Acquisition Security Council, that's in the CHIPS paper that I wrote as well, they should determine federally what is an acceptable level of risk. And we need to put the lawyers on a holding pattern because what we do is we're a very litigious society. So if I was to say, right, right now in OSD, the, the Undersecretary uh, for Acquisition and Sustainment, um, who is uh, Mr. LaPlante, Secretary LaPlante, has the authority to issue what is called a 2339 Alpha, which says that this product causes a significant risk to the Department of Defense, we cannot use it. Do you know how many of those have been issued? Many. And the capability has been around one. Why? Well, because no lawyer, nobody wants that, that, that have to defend that. But damn it, we have to defend it. There are nefarious products out there. There are nefarious entities out there. We have to be able to do that. And we, we just are in a culture that we don't want to do that. We don't want to upset the apple cart. And we've got to upset the apple cart. There's no way we can win this war on a global scale if we don't understand we're not even playing the same game as they are. Or worse yet, they we don't even know we're in the war. <laughs> worse yet, it sounds like we don't Amen, know that we're brother. in the war. Yeah. So they find out that we're, so how does it work in China, right? I can only guess because I've never been in the Chinese military, nor have I been a part of Chinese government or Chinese company on their side. But I can pretty much tell you, if we're attacking somebody there, everybody knows about it. Everybody knows. Port 44, shut it down. They, they work as a whole of government. We don't. And until we get to that point, right, we're going to be struggling. And the CMMC was a starting point, right? But you can see what's happened in the past two years of the evolution. And it's not just that. Zero trust. They, you know, I, I laughed at, um, you know, in, C, when, in the... The, the the new buzzword zero trust came out right and everybody's like i'm going to be in charge of zero trust and i want a zero trust environment do you know how long it would take the dod to get all of the programs to a zero trust environment probably a century <laughs> yeah it's like they throw around these buzzwords that sound really 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 cool like a zero trust strategy well a zero trust strategy is really a strategy right it's a, a culmination of a lot of disparate different parts and programs to create zero trust. And it's, it, it's very complex. It's not an easy button. The DOD started throwing that, well, we're gonna get to a zero trust environment. No, you're not. You have, there is no way you're getting to a zero trust environment for the fact of, um, A, you have programs that, that are still using, um, I, I don't want to get in trouble for saying it. You have some programs that are still using some very, 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 very outdated uh, operating systems. 
that nobody even patches anymore, right? You couldn't get zero trust on that in your best day. Yeah, we got a bunch it's, of deprecated, deprecated systems. Yeah, a lot of deprecated yep. systems at this point. Yep. I'm trying not to get myself sued uh, on that, yeah. on saying which particular things, but it's, um, it's, we have to understand, we, and it's not out of malice. This is the thing, right? Everybody thinks that they're doing the right thing at the right time with the right information that they have in front of them. And it's okay for us to turn around and say, so I'm going to give you one program that I think everybody should look at as a guidepost, right? The GBD, GBSD program, okay? That program manager, that lieutenant colonel is a game changer. He's like, listen, nobody's more or less important on this team. Everybody has a seat at the table. And in fact, he set up the program office to have an intel person there, an engineer there, people who actually implement and use the capability in the room. You know, it's um, when my first husband, Doug, got into, an, into uh, a Humvee. The Army infantry guys would start ripping things and putting them where they needed them to be because they weren't where they where they were positioned because the engineer that they engineered the seat for was six feet tall. And the person operating is five foot six. So that visual that you had that, you know, display didn't meet with his helmet on. He couldn't see it. So he had to move it. So they'd, they'd pull it off of that and they duct tape it to a lower point. We need to have that whole, like that whole of, of, of an environment of a team effort in developing. And I say he, you know, that the GBSD program is the start. And I think in corporations, you need to have the whole entities, right? There, you can't, the buck always stops. And when, and when I was the CISO, no matter what Stacy did, whatever Buddy did, John did, you know, uh, Neil when he was there, anybody on my team, anybody on my team, if there was an error, I made the error. They did not make the error. I was the leader. The buck stops with me. I did not get in their way. I think that good leadership is being the, you know, the, the, the offense to go out and to look and to see what roadblocks may be in your way to prevent you from, you know, being successful. That's what good leaders are. Good leaders aren't micromanagers. Good leaders aren't critical of every move and don't acknowledge that there is risk associated with everything. And we don't have a, a tremendous amount of great leaders at, generally, right? We have people who have, you know, and I, I'm going to call it out. You get people who get to be three and four stars. They're not getting there because they're risk adverse. That means they're, they're risk adverse. They've played a very political strategy with very few exceptions to get to where they are. And they're the ones leading, right? That generally shouldn't be the, the, the case. People shouldn't be promoted because you, you know, um, Kevin, I keep saying Kevin Fahey, I keep bringing him up in this podcast. He really was an avant-garde. I used to call him the father of acquisition. Um, he said, you know, what really sucks is that our program managers, right? We don't hire them for their qualifications. We hire them for their certifications. And that used to bring true, like we hire people based on, you know, the fact that they have so many points in this and that they're ready to take an assignment, but it may not be in the area that they know anything about. 
right? They're just, they're, they're a lieutenant colonel in acquisition and they've never really been in acquisition in a, a, a tactical uh, a weapon. Um, they've always been in software and we're going to put them over there. They don't know what the hell they're doing. It takes them a year to figure it out. Then a year to figure out what they want to change. And then by the time they start implementing the change, they roll them out. And then the industry's going, well, we just changed the trajectory, right? We were on this path with going this way. We were doing this. We were developing all the capability and the team to support you going in this direction. And all of a sudden we got a new guy in and you're changing the rules on us. We've got to get better, right? So to start, I think that any PM should be at a six-year status. At, at, at any time between four and seven years, that's the tenure that they should have. And then they should move on. Anybody in your job, in your life, um, anything. If you do a job, the same job for longer than seven years, you've given up on yourself, right? You should be striving to get better. I used to look at my team and, you know, one of the things as, as a leader, when I would say, you know, where do you see yourself in three years? And they would always be like, oh, I don't know, Miss Arrington. I don't know. I'm like, you should say you want to be in my seat. That's what you should say. How do I get to be you? That's good leadership. That's saying, I want to promote, I want to work to get you. If you have that desire to succeed, I'm going to be your block and tackle. I'm going to be the person to help you get there and get you to that point. And the DOD needs that culture. The federal government needs that culture. Because remember the book, Who Stole My Cheese? I mean, literally, that's what's going on over there. And signing your name on a piece of paper in, in coordination of a memo, you know, it's like uh, people are like, oh, wait a minute, never make lawyers look at it, make sure that the unders looked at it, make sure that, you know, 87 people have looked at it and given it approval. You're given a job. That's your job. That's only your job. That's why I say centers of excellence are the better way to go. That's your job. The responsibility lies on you and only you. And let's move on. Because otherwise, we're just in this constant bureaucratic spin, right? So even the intel, this, this whole conversation started about when a breach comes in, right? So a breach comes in, it goes up through the pipe, lawyers get involved. We're not sure if we want to tell the company. We're not sure who we need to notify. So we don't right? Because we're so risk adverse, we don't do the hard right work. And there, there shouldn't be a shame of, you know, hey, listen, I'm notifying DC3 because I've had a breach. I also, you know, that CISO or whoever's reporting that doesn't have the autonomy, the authority to notify anybody else in the supply chain that, that this has happened. Do you realize how bad that is? And, and people just, it's like, they should be able to pick up the phone and call everybody that is involved in this program or project and tell them, listen, this has happened and have no fear of financial or legal retribution. Don't you think that would be smart? I, I do. I could be wrong. But, you know, when a breach happens, why are we waiting for the government to tell, you know, for the sub to tell the, the government and to, to run it up the pipe chain. We've got to be able to tell everybody quickly, this has happened, lock it down so that the adversary can't do any more damage. But we're stuck in this loop of, well, I don't want to tell them because I might get in trouble or I might lose my job. And I don't want to be the one who, you know, did that instead of, you know, hey, listen, if you're involved in this program and here are all the people within this program that need to be notified if something happens to this particular software, this is the point of contact for everybody, dial them up. The CMMC was going to do that. 
right? So you would call and, and that, that provider would say, oh, we've got a problem. Um, then they could let everybody else know and keep the anonymity. But in, in the meantime, I, I, just, I just don't know how they get better on it. Do you? No. Do you have thoughts on that? No, I, I think one of and the thoughts as far as, I think one of the things as far as trying to get better uh, on any of this is that one, it's the recognition that based on the culture that you just, just described, things are just sitting there oscillating, but not moving, right? They oscillate, Correct. you've got the wave of, you've got the wave of new, let's say new commands, right? New orders and stuff too, that come in, they come into play. And like you said, it doesn't move, it moves back, forward, back, forward, back, forward, but just really, it's just oscillating. So like right now, if we look at the CMMC and we look at the ground and framework and the groundwork that's been done on that, and now with the transition and stuff and moving over the last two years, where is it going? See, problem is every two years right now is going to exponentially delay progress in this area. It's going to continue to delay progress longer and longer if it does not move from right now. And what do you think the adversary is doing when we make all these public statements about this? What do you think we show? Do you ever hear anything about the Chinese um, or you know Russian companies and non-compliance? No, there is no, there's no reporting of that. The only reporting we hear about uh, compliance and stuff from that end is that they don't have any compliance. <laughs> yep. Well, they actually did. They, they have a pretty, I've, 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 well, there is, right? But it's, uh -huh. we need to get beyond, and, and I don't want to go to a communist or socialist state where the government, you know, says, but it needs to be, risk is something that with the fact that we're so interconnected, right? And I'll go back, my, uh, my earbuds are dying, and I'm going to have to turn to the regular phone when I, in a second here, because I'm, I'm doing this remote. Hey, FYI, folks, this portion of the podcast is recorded from the Bellagio in my closet. Um, <laughs> in Vegas. <laughs> Not in my podcast studio. Um, but the, the, the CMMC, so it's like driving a car, okay? When we first started out driving, you know, cars were cool. There were no roads. There were no rules. Everybody could do what they want, right? But when we started to realize there was an associated risk that, you know, that road we were all driving on, like I needed you to, to not speed down that road. We, we came up with this guidelines, right? Every state and the nation came up with the interstates. We came up with roads. We came up with criteria for how much the speed limit should be. Risk reduction strategies that would secure everybody who was driving, that you understood the risk associated with this, that you understood the tools that you were using to drive, and you would get a driver's license, right? To say that you understood the risk. You took a test and you said, okay, I, I understand it and I've passed it and this is why I'm on the road. And then every time you have an accident or you do something wrong, the insurance changes. So there's a record of your, your errors, right? And if they're things that you weren't in control of, you're not penalized, but if you were controlled, you're penalized, right? That's what the CMNC was supposed to do. Just say, hey, listen, I understand risk avoidance structures. I've got these things in place, just like a driver's license. And the other conversation that's been going on that people don't want to talk about is the cyber insurance, right? The bigs, the super bigs got slush funds. They work out their, their underwriters rates on a mega level, right? Yep. As ransomware continues to rise up, 
and and we don't pay tariffs, right? Because I remember a, a, an event in December of 2020 where I got a phone call saying, hey, this company is saying they've got ransomware, they need a million dollars. Is the federal government going to pay? I'm like, we don't pay tariffs, last I checked. Nope, they're on their own. So that is a real thing. But that's why I can't, and I still to this day, don't understand the reluctance of industry or the Department of Defense in this new era why right as a prime as a sub you should be able to say this is your risk of this shows i have risk avoidance partner with me i'm a good guy to live next door to i'm a good person to work with i understand the risks. would you i just can't fathom and there are a lot of things that we need to get better at in in the federal government um it's it's way too big it's got way too many people with their opinions matters every you know i'm going to use this and sorry everybody has asses and elbows right everybody's got an opinion like they got asses and elbows not every opinion needs to be brought to the table right it's 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 it just it gets to be too much and when you have a bureaucracy of people who think that they're the most important people in the room you have problems you need a bureaucracy full of people who understand that they're the least important person in the room. And the most important person ultimately is that young man or woman sitting in a hostile nation behind a weapon that is there to defend. And everything else is ancillary. Everything else does not matter. That 22 year old man or woman that volunteered and signed on the dotted line, whether they went through college or they came in as enlisted, they have put their life in your hands. Everything else, shut up. Culture needs to change because they're willing to give their life up for you. That's the main driver. That should be the focus. Profitability, there's money to be made. We will always ensure there's profitability. But ultimately, when it comes to our warfighters and the young men and women that have historically, from our country's birth to date, volunteered, for the most part, we know about the draft, I'm not trying to exclude that, but for the most part, we have been a voluntary service. We owe it to those kids. We owe it to them. We owe them all of this. So all of the egos need to leave the room. All of the people who want their idea instead of opening their minds. I mean, the CMMC was successful in the time frame I was there is because I didn't do it. We did it. Johns Hopkins was with us. All of the CISOs from the large and small businesses had a say so in it. We brought it to the Dib Council. We, we asked everybody. We put it out for, do you realize we put out four times the, the, the model for public input and we actually took the public input yep it was created in a, in an effort of no ego the only person who ever had an ego about it and i will say this is every now and then i would say that just is going to waste time and money stop being stupid but other than that there were a lot of people that just volunteered their time to do the right thing to get to that end point of you know, I remember the first, you know, meeting, um, gosh, it, where Mr. Fahey, Stacy, and I all spoke, and we walked out of the room, and, and the last words on that recording was, listen, this is not about anybody in this room. This is about that young man or woman, and how are we going to be able to defend them and give them what they need to fight? 
And we've got to get back to that. We've got to get back to that core element. And I think where we are in the world right now is it, we've, we've come to a point where we need to go back to basics, right? General honore, keep it simple, stupid, right? I love that. Do you remember in Hurricane Katrina? Do you remember General Honoré? He was the one oh, yeah. that they sent down there to clean. And when he had, you know, one federal office had a boat on one side of the river and they didn't have authority to go and get the people on the other side of the river. And he just literally, he's like, get in the damn boat. Go get those people. They're going to die. Go get those people. We need that again. Yep. Not in this storm and Norman. He was good. Dorscoff. Storm and Norman, he'd go in there and just, mm, here's where we are. This is what we need to get done. It's for the warfighter. And boost the morale, not only in the DOD, but in the industrial base. The morale's at an all-time low. Yeah. We don't feel like we're fighting for anything we believe in anymore. We're just kind of like showing up. We've got to be Americans. And I don't care what political party you are, right? You work in the defense industrial base of the greatest country that has ever existed, end of story. You are privileged, you are honored and revered because the Department of Defense, folks, doesn't build anything, you do. And you are the heartbeat. You are what has let freedom and democracy flourish around the globe. And without you, we're nothing. So pull up by your bootstraps. There's so much that you could be doing. And in your day-to-day work, are you being in the spitball war? Are you being one of those people at the table that finds problems to solve? Or are you a problem solver? And it's as simple as that. It's like software developers. There's two different kinds of developers. They're the developers that know that they've created a backdoor, and there's the developers that have no idea that they've created a backdoor. Simple. Life is not as complicated as we need it, as we make it to be. And if we're doing the right things for the right purpose, you know, I, I know we're all very litigious, but my gosh, you know, the only way we're going to make this work is if we understand, A, who has the authority to, to make things move. A&S is the only one who can impact the, the DIB directly. Two, there's no I and we, right? So understand that, take that. And that risk isn't a four-letter word, and we need to start sharing it. And we need to start sharing it on levels within supply chains. And the only way you can do that is understanding who is in your supply chain. And you work together, right? That's a whole nother, I, in, down, you know, I, I could talk about supply chain risk management and how, you know, in, in the coming episode, um, how do we bite down on risk on that? And how do you work together to, to get things right? Because the federal government, and I ended podcast one with this, and I'm putting it in podcast two. The federal government is not here to solve your problem. Not. Never was. Never will be. Tell me one program that you know of in the federal government that's been successful. One. Because I have been working for a long time, and I've yet to find one that's been really very successful. You want to talk about the Bradley? You want to talk about the F-35? You want to talk about the National Park System? Tell me one program. WIC, food stamps, Section 8 housing. All of them were great on the idea 
it was during the execution and the development that we, we, we broke it. Every single one of them. We have to get better. And we deserve better. And we are better. This is the thing. People like you, you know, you're doing this podcast. You worked at Deloitte. You've been in the industry. Are you doing it because you want to get rich or are you doing it because you want to make a difference? Doing it to make a difference. That's what the podcast is for. Right. Can we make a difference? Can we bring awareness to it? And can we continue to one, bring awareness to everybody about the things that, uh, that are ongoing within our country and ongoing within cyber? That's what it is. That's what it's here for. And cyber is everybody's, you know, we haven't defined, and this is another one. We can do a whole new episode on this. What are the, what are the, you know, we build a wall to protect a country. What is a cyber wall? Right. That's a whole nother animal unto itself because you have so many companies that have so many, you know, interactions with other countries around the world. How do you define that? Right. What is the cyber realm? That's a whole nother discussion. I love that stuff. There, I'm just this, but right now we have a, there was a moment in time and all, you know, the listeners out there is, you know, I don't want to sound all maudlin and things are bad. The one thing that we have is hope. The one thing that, you know, nobody can take from us is our hope. And the people listening to this podcast are brilliant people. I've never met a stupid person. Can't say that I ever have. I've met people that might be uneducated in certain areas or have a different point of view, but I've never met a stupid person. And especially in the industrial base, I've met so many amazing people with brilliant ideas that are so afraid to tell anybody about their ideas or to go to leadership and say, Hey, but what I would tell you is I'm a four foot 11, 110 pound Lebanese, Italian, Polish girl, no college degree. I've made my mistakes in life, but yet I was able to walk into the non Luger briefing room in the Pentagon and say, hey, it's not that hard. I see these problems. And they listened. If you articulate your message well, you communicate what the threat is, how you think that you can solve the problem, and you provide an, a, you know, a, a solution set. It may not be perfect. Do it. Say it. If you have a way that you think that you can change the the culture, you can change a dynamic, why wouldn't you speak up? If you can define it, articulate it, and that's a hard thing for cyber people, by the way, because we talk in a language that not everybody understands, right? No, that's one of the things that, that is a challenge. But if you can do that, change your world, change it. You've only got one life to lead. And, and I can tell you, time is precious. If you don't let your corporate structure get in your way, right? And don't let that, if you have a leader who is afraid to let you shine, you're working for the wrong person. Find another job. Job market's huge right now. Find another job. If you are not with somebody as a leader who is willing to develop and wants you to, to, to be better than you are today, tomorrow, you're working for the wrong person. And the faster that more people like you make that decision to say, you know what, I'm tired of working like this and I'm going to move. It's going to show in the morale. It's going to show in the fact that they're losing employees and the culture will change. But if you continue to sit in that same risk adverse, apoplectic, 
I'm just showing up. I'm going to punch in and punch out. In this industry, you're doing a disservice to our nation and to those, and I'll go back to those young men and women that are sitting there praying and hoping like hell that all of the components of the weapon that they're working are going to fire when they pull that button because their life and our freedom depends on it. Don't get stuck in the status quo. I was a vocal point in the DOD. I hope in my future life at some point I get to go back and make real relevant change. You have that capability today in your environment, whoever you are, doing whatever you're doing. If you've worked at a job longer than a year, you know what a problem is, solve it. Everybody has the potential. Everybody has great ideas. Some are hits, some are misses, everybody's got them. But when we stop providing that feedback to the chain because we're, we're afraid of retribution, we're afraid of, you know, I talked about on, you know, I've written a white paper, right? Some people would be terrified to even say they've written a white paper because somebody else would take credit for it. Hey, listen, if it solves the national problem, I'm down with it. It doesn't need to come from me, right? This is about the greater good. And it's, you know, that's out of all of this conversation. That's the one thing that I, I you know, the, today's message is that things are messed up. Things are not good. Um, don't be afraid. Maybe you're the person that changes the culture of risk, right? So if you're working on a, on a weapon system and you know that, you know, there's a, you're, you're, the way that you're notifying the breach isn't a way, maybe it's your job to go to your CISO and say, listen, we need to have a, you know, they do telephone trees in schools, right? When there's something wrong, they do a telephone tree. Do we have a telephone tree that we need to be using? You know, in, in the most archaic of systems to make each other aware of when there's a breach or there's something wrong? You know, can't hurt to ask. And it's important. So, I mean, those are, you know, the DOD has, has a lot of problems. Every, the federal government has a lot of problems. Information sharing. I think that's one of our future podcasts. You know, when I was on the FAST, um, one of our greatest problems was we knew in the Department of Defense, remember I mentioned that 2339 Alpha capability that we could determine if a product or capability was going to do harm. Legally, we couldn't tell other agencies. Legally, could not tell them. If we knew that there was an adversarial financial interest in a company, we couldn't tell them. We have to go through the, the, an entire process to be able to inform. And then, you know, by the time that the, the, the legal teams got to it, you know, that the damage was done already. We've got to get better kids. I don't say kids in a, in a derogatory because I think we're all young at heart and we're all in this to win it, right? We wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't care and you didn't want to make it better. And, you know, um, I'm the poster child for failure and successes, right? Um, I tried really, really hard. Um, I'm not giving up. Have I failed? I've, I've been brought to my knees on numerous occasions in life, but the character of a man or a woman is not when they get knocked down, how they stand up and what they do after that. And anybody listening today, that is the message. You're gonna make mistakes and that's okay. Cyber, you're gonna make a mistake. You do your best to build in risk reduction strategies you do your absolute best. You document what you're doing and you do your best. Bad things are going to happen. Document, 
make you know changes and understand the adversary as often as you're changing your strategy they're changing theirs two and three times faster so don't be afraid of risk and my message to anybody in the dod that's listening to this is kids you have a moment in time get the cmmc program out of cio put it back in a and s where it belongs stop the political fighting about who's in charge of the dib everybody's in charge of the dib everybody has a role to play but the only people who can actually enforce compliance is acquisition. The only people who can do it are those folks. Suck it up, Buttercup. CIO, you determine the standards. The policy, you determine, you know, that the policies for the government and how we work. The, the Department for International Securities Negotiations, you know, you may not know this, but every time we create a weapon system that we use with an international partner, we have to have a separate security agreement. There's enough work to go around. Let's not create new problems. And, you know, this, this podcast, are there breaches? Yes. Are they notified in a timely manner? Absolutely not. Is there a way to notify? Yes. Do most people use it? No. How do I know that? Do you know how many people actually know, made the government aware of SolarWinds? Less than 7% of the industrial base. Think about that. And who wasn't affected by solar winds? Less than 7% actually recorded an incident out of 300,000 companies. That's staggering. Because they were worried about getting penalized. It wasn't their fault. They didn't do anything wrong. The adversary got into a software penetration software that led to the solar winds, and it wasn't anybody's nobody's fault. So why didn't more people report it? Fear. And we can't work in that environment. Are there any subjects on this segment that I haven't hit? You hit every single one of these sections here. Um, I was ticking them off as you were going down the line here. Your timeline, the uh, yeah, daily headlines, the what is it about DOD culture? Uh, then steps you, know, you think you could take. I, I thought you laid out a pretty good three-step plan there uh, as well. So as it's I was writing easy. through here. Yep. Now, if they would just let me come back. <laughs> 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 and we have to do a whole whole thing on what they did to me. Because it's not me. Yes. They just did it too. Yes, absolutely. Um, I actually would like to put that, and I'll insert that into the episode three. I'll just make a quick uh, change on episode three to be able to talk about that full experience there, um, as far as the, uh, the the whole journey there uh, at the uh, you know as a as a CISO and how it, this has gone as far as with the uh, uh, the clearance and then also the investigation and all of that and also you being absolved and stuff yeah. too on that. Okay, so absolutely, uh, okay. I'd love to dive into that. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. You have a great day. You too. Take care. That's all for this episode of The Lojo Show. We want to thank Katie Arrington for coming on with us today. On the first of many in this exclusive series, Exposing the Truth About DOD Security. Let us know what you think of a season two. And if you want to see updates on this series and more, follow our Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube pages. If you have questions for Katie or want to come on the show, 
you can send us an email at officiallojoshow at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. We will be releasing a new episode in this series every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We hope you are excited as we are. With that, we will say goodbye, have a great week, stay safe, and stay secure.